just sit back here in this studio looking at a guy out here hollering my name when last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheel of dealing, limousine light, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time. And with that, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the 28th episode of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, but you already know that. Now, this episode, it's going to be shorter, but it is going to be oh so sweet. I'm pretty much going to stick to NFL and college football, and I am going to hit college football very hard this week because it is conference championship weekend, which means on Sunday, the college football playoff will be finalized. So got to look at all those scenarios, got to look at what teams, what they have to do, whether they can win, whether they can lose, how does each team really make the playoff. So that is going to take a while to do, so just give me time with that. Like I said, though, still going to talk NFL. Cannot forget about that. Things are heating up in the playoff races in a couple of divisions, so we are going to look at that as well, but mostly a college football episode this week. So with that being said, just chill out, relax. I have a great show coming for you, and we're going to start with some NFL talk, and we are going to do the rapid-fire recap, and it's going to be movie-themed just like I promised y'all two weeks ago. First game, boom, the Chargers beat the Cowboys this week and not even Matthew McConaughey could save them out there as I'm not buying this Dallas club. And the Cowboys, once again, how to lose a guy in 10 weeks, Ezekiel Elliott, can really just make you cry like a great rom-com. Chargers head back to Tinseltown with a 28-6 win. Next game, boom, the Redskins went full documentary on us this Sunday with my culture isn't a costume and stuck their docks 12 feet deep in the Giants for a 20-10 win. Ben McAdoo looks to be hanging out with Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O as he benches 14-year starter Eli Manning, making him a true jackass. Eli, though, has always followed the golden rule set by Tropic Thunder's Kirk Lazarus. Eli may have a few dumb looks on his face from time to time, but he's never gone full retard. Next game, boom. The Browns and Deshaun Kaiser Soze and the rest of the usual suspects went to Cincinnati where Ralphie and the Bengals fans were happy because the Red Rifle showed up for a big game while AJ Fried Green Tomatoes did just that to the Browns secondary, fried them. Bengals 30, Browns 16. Next week, though, we get to see just how high Josh Gordon can get. Practice high, play high, put up high stats. Shout out to Method Man. Hope that Harvard degree is doing you well. Next game, boom. Packers and Steelers give this game the Oscar for best Week 12 drama as Chris Boswell hits the game-winning field goal as time expires. The Steelers' offense reminds me of Dodgeball the movie. Not the best of all time, but a guaranteed fun time and a laugh while watching. And the Steelers have dodged, ducked, dipped, dive, and dodged their way to a 9-2 record sitting atop the AFC North, while the Packers are just like the new Transformers. You sub out Shia LaBeouf for Mark Wahlberg and Rodgers for Hundley, and it's just not the same. 
Next game, boom. In Atlanta, Julio Jones was just like Django, unchanged, as he has over 250 yards receiving and two touchdowns. The Buccaneers were just like the D and Django, silent as they fell flat on their faces, just like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies did after the third one. Ryan Fitzpatrick channels his inner Jack Sparrow with a little, yo-ho, 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 it's a backup's life for me, as the Buccaneers are sent back to Davy Jones' locker, 34-20. Next game, boom. Tyrod Taylor is back at starter for the Bills, proving the original is always better than the sequel. The Chiefs are falling just as hard as Vinny Chase and Medellin did after the screening at the Cannes Festival. Andy Reid and his entourage fall to the Bills, 16-10. Next game, boom. The Jets tried to pull off a miracle landing just like Sully did, landing back in New York with a win, but Cam Newton and the rest of the Panthers, just like Denzel Washington, took flight on their way to a 35-27 win. Next game, boom. Bears-Eagles and the Bears performance Sunday left me as sad as the first time I was after I watched the breakup. Spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, they should have gotten back together at the movie. Damn it, it still gets me to this day. The Eagles right now look like Rocky 2 Rocky, not Rocky 5 and just Rocky 6, the one called Rocky Balboa. Let's be honest, ladies and gents. Those two ru- movies ruined the franchise. As went to standing atop of the league saying, Yo, Adrian, I'm not a boss. Eagles 31, Bears 3. I apologize, Sylvester Stallone. That was an awful impression of you. Next game, boom. The Seahawks were sleepless in Seattle after a 24-13 win over the 49ers, leaving Pete Carroll to once a green scream, Wilson, Wilson, so Russell can come and save the day and make sure the Seahawks' playoff chances aren't cast away. Next game, boom. Broncos, Raiders, who are coming straight out of Compton. Crazy motherfucker named Derek Carr, throwing two TDs with a sawed off, while Aqib Tlaib for the second straight year was a body snatcher as he swipes Michael Crabtree's chain. Trevor Simeon was thrust into the star role Sunday after Paxton's Lynch, just like Steve Carell and the 40-year-old virgin, could not score. Raiders win this one, 20-14. Last game, boom. Ravens-Texans, where Danny Woodhead showed off his Mr. Woodcock, just like like Billy Bob Thornton with four receptions. The Texans, though, are one more bad Rotten Tomatoes review away from going from the big screens to straight to DVD releases. To seal the game, Joe Flacco showed off his Lightning McQueen-like wheels, sealing this one for the Ravens, 23-16. And that does it for this week's Rapid Fire Recap. And... I really put a lot of work into that with the movie themes. And like I said, in the coming weeks, there is going to be more themes. Not really sure what they're going to be. So if you have any ideas, text me, tell me in person, snap me, uh, slide in my DMs. I'm on every social media, so just get a hold of me. I would love to hear from you all. And since we are on that topic of hearing from you all, please subscribe, review, and like this podcast on iTunes. Or guess what? I'm on SoundCloud, ladies and gents, so just listen however you can, because it means so, so much to me. Also, it is super hard to make one of these, and shout out to my boy Donovan Hess, who was on last week's episode. He is trying to get his own podcast started up, so... I hope that turns out well. He's a great, great friend of mine, and you all heard him last week. He knows what he's talking about. So, Dono, I give you a little plug. I expect you to give me a little plug when you get your thing going. I'll look out for his podcast. And like I said, review, subscribe to mine. You better do the same damn thing for his podcast. And like I said, this upcoming week, there's only really five games that I need to talk about at length. The first one is the Vikings at the Falcons. This is a big game for both of these NFC teams. 
the Vikings, I don't, they are winning each game, and it is so surprising to me because their defense, yes, totally good, one of the best in the leagues, but Case Keenum has just played so well this year, and it is just uncharacteristic of him to do that. I like Case as a, as a quarterback. I really do. I like him as a guy. But the Vikings said that once Teddy Bridgewater got back healthy and cleared, which he is now, that they still think he is their quarterback of the future for their franchise. So I think it's good that Case is playing so well for the Vikings because the Vikings can shop him around draft time and maybe get a second or third round pick for him. And that can help build and add talent to the offense, to the defense. It's the Vikings are in a good situation right now with both their quarterbacks. I know some people would say, oh, it's quarterback controversy. Right now, not really. You let Case finish it out until he starts playing pretty bad, and then you shop him around, and then Teddy Bridgewater, hey, how you doing? Total, he has all the tools to be a great quarterback in the NFL. Throw him in there. Or, hey, trade Teddy, trade him to the Browns. Great fit. Falcons, they're sitting at 7-4. and four. They need this win this would be a huge win for them within the NFC South to get them right back in the picture. There's another big NFC South game that I'm going to talk about next, but in this one, I like Atlanta's the favorite here, which I find a little a little surprising. Uh, Falcons defense has been really hit or miss this year. These last couple weeks, they've been playing really well going back to the Dallas game, but I don't think it's going to be consistent enough for them to stop the Vikings offense. And I think Jarek McKinnon, he's 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 regressed a bit in the last couple weeks, but I think he is gonna have a big game, gonna be a lot of checkdowns, a lot of screen passes because the Falcons defense loves to bring pressure. So I expect a big game for him on the ground and through the air, and I'm going to take the Vikings in this one in a, in a close game, but the Vikings show that, hey, we're the real deal. We can go on the road in a tough environment against a high-powered offense and a pretty good defense like they've done before this year, but prove it again that they can go and do that. Vikings over the Falcons. That other NFC South game that I mentioned, you have the 8-3 and three Panthers going to the 8-3 and three Saints. Both of these teams tied for first in the NFC South. Winner of this one is then solely atop of the NFC South. The Saints are favored in this game. I do ultimately think that the Panthers win. I know that's a bit of a bold claim, but Cam Newton and the Panthers are just finding ways to win games that they're just tough, just scrappy wins, and I think that's what this week's going to be. I think it'll be a little bit high scoring considering both of these defenses are a little bit better than what they've been expected to be. Luke Keekley for the Panthers, the best linebacker in the league right now. And then the Saints defense in that bend-don't-break mentality, but is one of the best scoring defenses in the league. So those, it contributes in both ways. I think Cam and the rest of the Panthers somehow find a way to overcome the high-powered Saints offense. Michael Thomas and Drew Brees in Thomas's second year are only strengthening that connection. And then the two-headed monster running back between Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara is only getting better. Uh, Alvin is a great pass blocker and he's a great pass catcher which is kind of like the Darren Sproles role that has been missing for this offense a little bit in the past couple years but in the end I think the Panthers win this one and then I think later on in the year the Saints steal one at the Panthers and causes a whole heck of a lot of a confusion for the NFC South honestly I think I think two 
I think these two teams could actually get in if the right things happen. I know, obviously, duh, if the right things happen, they'll get in. But I think these teams could both get in just because they find ways to win close games. Maybe not the most conventional way sometimes, but they find ways to win. This Sunday, though, I say the Panthers go to the Superdome and take over and beat the Saints. And now we're going to stay in the NFC for a battle of the birds. Cuckoo! I always have to do that, sorry. As the Eagles, 10-1, best record in the NFL, go to the Seahawks, 7-4. It's the Sunday night game, under the lights, Carson Wentz going to the the best home field advantage, I'd say, in the NFL, and one of the best defenses in the NFL. I know there are some injuries in the secondary and on that defense, but still so good. And the crowd noise, and the that is one where the NFL, it's maybe not make that much of a difference, whether it's home or away, but... At Seattle really does make a difference, unlike most stadiums. I'm interested to see how Carson Wentz is going to play in this game just because it is at Seattle and it's under the lights, Sunday night game. I get he's played primetime games before and big games before, but I think Pete Carroll is going to have this team so jacked up that they could honestly just come out and smack the Eagles. But I don't see that happening. I think... This is going to be a close game. I think the Seahawks are going to ask Russell Wilson to bail him out again. I think he does. I think the Seahawks win this one. I don't think you see a lot of run game for the Seahawks. I think we might see Russell Wilson throw the ball 40-plus times, and if that's what it's going to take to win, that's what they do. Russell should look to be a little bit more mobile in this game. Ever since, I'd say about three years ago, he's become less and less mobile. He doesn't want to take as many hits, wants to stay in the pocket. Fine, sure, he's the best scrambler in the NFL, him or Rodgers. But you got to say, if that's a weapon you have, you got to use it because that'll only help your team win. So Sunday night, I think it's a close game. I think Carson Wentz has a very good game. And I think that'll be one of the first times that there's going to be a lot of eyes on him so people can really see how good of a quarterback this guy is because he is the real deal. The Eagles found a gem and a franchise quarterback for years and years to come. And he's got the first name Carson, so I already knew he was going to be a great guy and a great player. So, yeah, Eagles lose the game, but doesn't take anything away from them. Still... The well, not maybe not be the best record in the league, but still right on top of the NFC standings in itself. Seahawks, though, beat the Eagles this week. And then this next game is an AFC North battle. I say battle because that's exactly... I shouldn't even say battle. It's a war. Every time these two teams play, it's the Monday night game. you got the Steelers 9-2 and two going to the Bengals 5-6. and six. You want to say that, yes, this could be important for the AFC North picture, it more than likely isn't. I think the Steelers have that wrapped up right now. But the Bengals could somehow find a wild card spot in this game. Winning it would go a long way for that to help. This game, the refs better bring extra flags because there's going to be a lot of them. My big thing is, who do you think is going to get into it? Uh, do you think uh, Vontez is going to get into it with... Um, let's say Le'Veon, or do you think Antonio Brown's going to get in it with Dre Kirkpatrick? Corey Coleman and Dre Kirkpatrick got into it a little bit last week. I was at the game. I noticed it. A little trash talking by both. I like that. I like a little edge. Or is Pac-Man going to Pac-Man and just be a total asshole and try and get in somebody's head? I'm excited. I love when these games happen because it is 
throwback football. It's wars. It's hard hitting. It's down to the last possession almost every year. I think the Steelers win this one. Showed that they are dominant in the AFC North and the AFC in a in a tough game though because like I said this is a huge rivalry and in rivalry games anything can happen. It's at Cincinnati and they have a hugely uh, passionate passionate fan base and I think that helps a little bit for them but at the end of the day I think the Steelers come out and they show they're the better team head and toes above them head and toes head and shoulders head toes knee and shoulders whatever Steelers beat the Bengals on Monday night and then I'm not going to dive into these at all just little notes from them Browns go to the Chargers Josh Gordon is back first time in two years I wonder if he's going to do good because apparently he played games either high or drunk and maybe this is going to be questionable for him because he hasn't played a game sober in apparently six years now. So he could just ball out and be even better or he could be significantly worse. Just keep an eye on that. I predict he has over 50 yards and a touchdown in his return, which would be great for him and those Browns to get another weapon. And then the last game just to look at, you have the Giants going to the Raiders. Geno Smith is now the starter for the New York Giants. First time you could say that for anybody besides Eli Manning since 2004. Eli deserves better than this. Ben McAdoo knows his ass is on the way out, and he is literally doing anything to try and save his job. And apparently he thinks this is it, and he's dead fucking wrong. Eli apparently went with McAdoo, and McAdoo proposed, oh, you can play the first half, and you can keep your streak intact. Eli has the integrity and the passion and the mindset where, no, if I'm not playing the entire game, I'm not going to be this charity case and keep my record going, anything like that, and I respect that. I really do. The Giants, they're a dumpster fire this year, and honestly, what do you expect from Eli Manning this year? His O-line is terrible. His three... Best weapons are gone on offense. Their defense is underperformed. This offense and this team was thought to be one of the best in the NFC, if not the NFL, because of Sterling Shepard, who's still there, of Odell, who is sadly out, and then Brandon Marshall is supposed to be the guy that kept things level, was supposed to be a bit of a mentor to Odell because Marshall has dealt with some problems, has reined those in, but that's just not the case, obviously. I think Ben McAdoo, scum of the earth right now, just, I I hate you, Ben McAdoo. I don't say that a lot, and I literally have no rooting interest in the Giants. I just feel like how loyal Eli has been and how much he's put into that organization, how he's won the Super Bowl twice for you all, beat the best team in the NFL that was better than them both times and won Super Bowl MVP both times. You let the man finish out starting for the rest of the year and then trade him, release him, whatever you do. But you don't do this to Eli Manning. I hope the Raiders beat the blocks off the Giants this week and Geno does what uh, Patterson, Peterson, whatever, did for the Bills a couple weeks ago and just throws five interceptions. Now on the sack, we move on to what will surely be the talk of the sports world this next coming weekend. It is conference championship week. It is finish up your resume, put the bow on top because it's time to turn it in. Put your pencils down because we're turning the test. There are four huge 
monstrous games that are going to affect the college football playoff this coming weekend. Georgia, six in the country, is playing number two Auburn in the SEC championship game. The eighth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes are playing the undefeated fourth-ranked Wisconsin Badgers in the Big Ten. The 11th-ranked TCU Horned Frogs are playing the third-ranked Oklahoma Sooners in the Big 12 championship game, the first time they've had that in a few years. And then a little nightcap. Miami, seventh in the country, is going to play number one Clemson. A little questionable about them being number one at 8 p.m. in the ACC championship game. Now, I'm going to go one by one, talk about these games a little bit, and then just going to say who wins. And then after who wins each game, then after that, going to talk to you about who I think should be in the college football playoff after the fact who wins what this coming weekend. So I think the biggest one that we really need to talk about is the SEC championship game. Georgia 6th, Auburn 2nd. The big thing here is this game is now at a neutral site rather than at Jordan-Hare Stadium, a.k.a. Auburn's home field. I think that did play a little bit of a part to Auburn's win. That environment just gets the players going and just keeps them on the up and up. Doesn't ever let them get down, even when they might be playing bad, because those fans are so energetic and so rowdy. But you look at the first game, how bad Auburn did beat Georgia. You can't put it all on just a home field advantage. you got to say Auburn showed up and Georgia just did not. Another Big, big thing to look at this. Carrion Johnson, who had 32 carries and 167 yards against Georgia last time they played. Johnson might not even play. He has a shoulder injury, but you got to think. SEC championship game, you win this more than likely. You Not more than likely. You do punch a ticket to the college football playoff, and then you have a month and a couple days to rehab that shoulder and get ready for the college football playoff first game. You do it. I expect him to be out there. He might not get the 32 carries. He he should, I still think, at least get 20 to 22, which I know on that shoulder I don't want him to cause severe or future damage. But you go out, you play, because this is the biggest game of the season and the biggest game of your life so far. And then Jarrett Stidham. 214 passing yards and three scores for them the last time they played. His ability to air it out helps, and he's a bit mobile too. Not a lot of people think about him being a mobile quarterback, but he's got some wheels. I mean, he ran for a touchdown last week against Alabama, so he's respectable enough as a runner where you need to respect that and a nice little compliment on read options to Johnson. I think he is going to play well again. I think the whole neutral field, though, and I expect more Georgia fans to be there because it's in uh, the Georgia Superdome. So I think that definitely helps Georgia come back from that last game that they had. The other big thing for Georgia is they got to get the run game going. They lead the league, the SEC, in a rushing yards and attack per game, 265 yards per game. But in the Auburn game, they only had 46 total yards because Chubb, he has over 1,000 yards in the year. And Sony Michelle, he has 903. So he's 97 yards away from 1,000. That is so very rare to have two running backs with over 1,000 yards in the same backfield. Ohio State's down a couple times. So uh, there's that. But. If from the quarterback for Georgia can get 
enough out of the run game where they have to respect it. He can throw some play actions, and they can air it out a little bit. That really opens up the play calling and the offense for Georgia, which only helps them in the long run. I think Georgia's defense takes it very personal. I think Kirby Smart takes it very personal how how poorly they performed in the first game and how Auburn was able to put up so many points. But Gus Malzahn is one of, if not the best, offensive-minded coaches in college football. So you got to understand he's going to probably have a whole new game plan, even though it's been only two weeks since they played each other. Well, three practice weeks. But he'll probably have so many new wrinkles, so many new things for that Auburn offense, that Georgia, yes, study the tape, obviously look at it, but expect so many things that you haven't seen out of the Tigers. So now, what apparently we've all been waiting for, my prediction on this game. I've tossed and turned about this one, ladies and gentlemen. It's kept me up at night. I've woken up in a cold sweat a couple times this past week trying to decide who do I think is going to win this game. Do you pick Auburn, the two-loss team? Do you pick Georgia, the 11-1 team who has only lost to Auburn? Do you pick Auburn, two losses, one of those being to Clemson, the number one team in the country, then the other one going against Coach O and LSU, giving up a huge fourth-quarter lead to those Tigers? It's hard to beat the same team twice in the in the same year. If Kerryon Johnson doesn't play, give it to Georgia. But I think he plays, and I still give it to Georgia. Georgia wins this one against Auburn in a very close game. But give the Bulldogs the SEC championship this year. Next game, we look at the Big Ten championship game between Ohio State, their eighth in the country, and then fourth-ranked the Wisconsin Badgers. The parallels between the Ohio State team of this year and the national championship team from 2014 is astounding. One, <clears throat> they needed a lot of help to get into the college football playoff back in 2014, and now is the same. They need that help. Could po- quite possibly get that this coming weekend. The big narrative, though, is a lot of unknown players are stepping up for the Buckeyes just like they did back in 2014, like a Joey Bosa, like a Michael Thomas, like an Evan Spencer, like a Cardale Jones, like a JT Barrett. I wouldn't say like a Ezekiel Elliott because he was still known, but the games he had in the Sugar Bowl and the National Championship was his coming out party for the country. This year, though, JT Barrett suffered a bit of a knee injury, still questionable his status for the game. If he doesn't play, Dwayne Haskins is who comes in. He finished up the game for Ohio State. He came in in the third and led the Ohio State's fourth quarter comeback. And then, guess what? Six straight win against Michigan. Urban Meyer, 6-0 and against you. Uh, we're spanking you, Michigan, and you're calling us daddy. Uh, Coach Harborough. You can uh, wear khakis all you want, drink as much milk as you want, but that clearly doesn't translate into beating teams or winning Big Ten championships or let alone making national championship games or playoffs. So whatever. Remember when you all thought he was going to come in and shake up the Big Ten? Yeah, sure. Wisconsin, I don't think, has played a team as good as Ohio State. Not nearly, I can guarantee, a defense as good as Ohio State's. Ohio State's front line is the best in the country. I will say that and stick by that. Their secondary at the start of the year was exposed. 
they have gotten better. Denzel Ward has found himself and become the leader of that secondary. I just think Ohio State's defense is so much better than Wisconsin's offense, and I don't think there's going to be enough answers for the defense that is going to bring so much pressure and stop Wisconsin's run game. Yes, Wisconsin is always, they have corn-fed boys up front. They go 315. They're agile as hell. They big, but they nimble. I don't think it matters. I think Wisconsin gets down early. I think it forces them into passing situations that are obvious i think the d-line for ohio state gets to pin their ears back joey bosa sam hubbard tracy sprinkle all of them they have the opportunity to get sacks and stops and then the secondary knows it's going to be a passing down situation so they are ready to play the ball know they have to lock up their guys i don't foresee it being a 59-0 win like it was in 2014 i expect it to be a big win i expect them though to Wisconsin is a good team like you can't you can't expect to shut out a team it's just unrealistic in college football the landscape the way it is now but I think Ohio State helps their playoff cause a lot with a big win in the Big Ten Championship game over Wisconsin the next game is the Big 12 championship game between TCU and Oklahoma the thing that TCU has got going for them, they have nothing to lose in this game. They really don't. I mean, they're still going to go to a pretty good bowl if they win this. If not, they go to a better bowl. They finish at 11-2. and two. It helps recruiting. More than likely, they finish in the top 10 or top 8. Gets more eyes on your program because you'll go to a better game and helps with recruiting. Oklahoma has everything to lose in this game. If they lose, they wind up totally, I, I would figure out of the college football playoff if it's close could they find their way out of it i could be possible you never know what is going to need to happen though is the last time these two teams played uh baker mayfield threw for 333 yards and then three touchdowns and then he ran for 200 yards against ccu and that all season is the most they ever allowed and gary patterson is one of the best defensive-minded coaches in college football, and he didn't even have an answer for Baker Mayfield. Is that going to be the case again in this game? I don't think he has an answer, but I think he's going to show his work on the test and maybe get some partial credit, and I think that helps them out a little bit. Um, The big thing, though, was TCU's defense didn't show up, but their offense didn't help them out that much either. Uh, Kenny Hill wasn't performing as well as he could. Um, the run game that has been solid for TCU all year didn't show up. Personally, as an Ohio State fan, Oklahoma needs to lose this for us to get in. I understand that. I'm rooting for TCU. Do I think TCU is going to beat Oklahoma? I think they have the tools to do it, and I think they have the coach that could draw up a defensive scheme and learn from the first game because, like I said, for the Georgia-Auburn game, it is hard to beat the same team twice in one year. But I think Oklahoma does that. Baker Mayfield is the best player in the country. Give him the Heisman. This game is going to provide him so many opportunities to add to his Heisman moment list, his resume for that as well. I think Oklahoma wins this one in a closer game than what the first one was, but Oklahoma still wins this one, is the Big 12 champion, and more than likely punches their ticket to the conference football playoff. 
Now, the last game, the nightcap, the ACC championship game, which, excuse me, I personally think is going to be the best game out of the big four conference championship games. Miami, 7th in the country. Clemson, number one in the country. Miami, 10-1. and one. Clemson, 11-1. and one. Clemson, 74% chance to win. Miami, 25%. I don't know where that other 1% is going to go. But it's hard for me to really come out and say this team's going to come out and dominate. This team is going to win because both of these teams have shown inconsistency throughout the year. Clemson, I'll start with Clemson. Their front seven is very good on defense, one of the best in football. They get after quarterbacks. They stop the run. Their secondary is a little concerning, though. And then Kelly Bryant for Clemson. He only has six interceptions on the year, but he also only has 12 touchdowns on the year. And you saw his importance to that team because when they went to Syracuse, they ended up losing that game. And I still think the committee is putting way too much emphasis on the fact that Clemson was without Bryant because I don't care. If you are the number one team in the country, which they are ranked now, you find a way to win that game. Your defense steps up. Another player on offense steps up. Um, Clemson has a plethora of running backs that they could have rode to a victory in that game. I think they're going to ride them hard in this game and try and wear down Miami's defense. I can see that happening. But on the other side, Rozier for Miami, the quarterback, he's got 25 touchdowns. He's a playmaker. Where Bryant is more of, don't turn it over, I'll put us in good positions to win. Rozier's like, hey, I'll go out there and win us the game. What is going to be needed is Braxton Berrios. He's got nine touchdowns on the year on only 45 receptions, and he's got 583 yards. He can affect the game in a lot of ways. They have him as a kick returner. They can put him in the backfield a little bit like they do with uh, Danny Woodhead and how they could actually split him out. He is a uh, receiver at heart, but they can line him up in the backfield as well, like I said. Miami's secondary, very good. The turnover chain, I think they... Love that they obviously do love that, but I think they take so much pride in it, and they feel like the you of the '80s and '90s that they're gonna bring a lot of swagger to this game, just like they did to the Notre Dame game. I wish I could really. This and the SEC championship game have kept me up at night, and I'm not. I'm not even kidding. I've broken things down. I've watched tape. I've done it all. I brought laser pointers out. I brought. I drew up plays and whiteboards for these teams and everything. As much as I want Clemson to lose, it's hard for me to sit there and say that Dabo, who is shown he can win close games, and Mark Rick, coming from Georgia, who. He never really won the big one. He always had a lot of expectations on him, and he didn't live up to him. But this year, totally different. Not a lot of expectations for the U, and he has exceeded them. I I really am struggling to pick a team here. I should. You guys are probably like, oh, you should have picked it before you came on here. It's a little difficult to do that. Fuck it. At the end of the day, I think Rozier... Miami's quarterback makes big plays enough for them to win. I think Bryant 
the quarterback for Clemson just doesn't do it for him. I think Miami's defense finds a way to slow down the stable of running back that Clemson has. And Miami, you're the ACC champions of 2017. And what does that do for the playoff? I have no fucking idea. So let's now dive into that. But before that, there are two other uh, conference championship games doesn't have any effect on the college football playoff, but Stanford and USC playing the Pac-12 championship game on Friday. I think USC wins that one, but I think uh, Love, the running back for Stanford, has a nice game, ends his season and his career very nicely. Not career, he still has the bowl game to play, my apologies. And then Memphis, they're 20th in the country. They go to UCF, one of the only remaining undefeated teams. UCF, if they win this game, put them in the top 10. They deserve it. They should have been there all year. Literally, the seniors on this team have experienced a winless season and now they are experiencing a lossless season. The turnaround from last year, which was the zero win season, and the turnaround this year to zero losses, incredible. I don't know how it happened, but good lord. I hope the Knights end up finishing the year undefeated and I hope they find themselves in the top 10 next week and if not, they win a bowl game against a good team and they find themselves in the top 10 after an undefeated season because by god, if you're undefeated, you deserve to be up there. And honestly, if it was this BCS old system, they might have a chance at the at the championship game between two teams. Probably not because the BCS was rigged, always has been, always will be. But no need to get into that. We're going to now look at, after the losses, what happens. And there's teams that aren't even playing in conference championship games that could find their way in. So just to refresh people's minds where they're at, Clemson is one, Auburn is two, Oklahoma's three, Wisconsin's four. Alabama, after losing to Auburn last week, is fifth. Georgia is 6th, Miami is 7th, Ohio State is 8th. I think after Ohio State at 8th, you draw the line. Nobody after them is going to get in. I hate to say it, but it's just it's just not going to happen. So with that, just to recap who the rankings are in order, Clemson, Auburn, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Alabama, Georgia, Miami, Ohio State. Miami is 7th, Ohio State is 8th. I think after that 8th, you draw a line. Nobody past this is going to get in. Now, let's just go game by game that what would happen if my predictions are right. So, Clemson at number 1 is playing number 7, Miami. Miami wins. Clemson is obviously out of the top spot and obviously, I think, out of the college football playoff. So, we leave it at that. Let's just now push teams up. After that, so Auburn would be number one if they win, but I predict Georgia is going to beat Auburn, and I think Georgia finds its way back in to the college football playoff because the resume is good enough. Even though the Auburn loss was not a good one, it is still a loss to a team that went and beat Alabama and then beat you earlier in the year and you showed you can rebound and play better and then Georgia beat Notre Dame earlier in the year and Notre Dame is still thought of as a good team I mean still 15th in the country that's a good solid win and then you look at Oklahoma who I think does end up sliding by TCU if this is the case and that does happen Clemson and Auburn are gone I think Oklahoma, rightfully so, slides up to the number one spot, and their resume is good enough. Baker Mayfield, the Heisman winner, I believe, Oklahoma deserves their number one spot. You go on the road, you beat Ohio State badly, you beat TCU, you beat Oklahoma State, you beat TCU again. Yes, you fuck up and lose to Iowa State, but they, at the end, 
kind of found some success and were ranked in the top 25 for a little bit, and they also beat TCU. So Iowa State, I don't like you a lot. I don't think you're that great, but you're respectable. So Oklahoma ends up sliding to number one. This is now where things get a little tricky because Ohio State, I think, is going to be Wisconsin. So right now, the only team that, that was in the top four coming into this week, Oklahoma slides up to number one. I think Clemson is totally out because of the loss to Syracuse. Get, granted, the loss to Miami would look good, but the loss to Syracuse takes you completely out. Auburn, three losses, completely out. Wisconsin, no quality wins, completely out. So that leaves Alabama, Georgia, Miami, and Ohio State with four teams and three spots available. I think Georgia and Miami get in. Where it comes in discussion is Alabama and Ohio State. I think that is going to be the fourth seed, and I think the the committee is going to need a lot of discussion for that. And then, just to clarify, I think uh, Oklahoma's one, and then I think Georgia's two, Miami three, or depending on who else, who this fourth team is, could be fourth. <sighs> Alabama, they only have... One, I guess I'm air quoting this, quality win against Mississippi State at Mississippi State where Auburn, not Auburn, Alabama, my apologies, played drastically worse than what they have been all year. They haven't been tested really all year, though. That was their first really big on-the-road test. It was thought to be Florida State that first game of the year. One versus three was going to be huge, was going to be close game was going to be such a resume booster for the playoff but FSU has proved to be dog shit this year and I know they are without Francois their starting quarterback but there's so many other problems in that program right now hey Greek life not suspended you're suspended Alabama I guess their only other good loss not loss win is against LSU it was at Alabama so still a good win LSU right now is sitting at 17th They'll probably stay around the 17th or top 15 range. So, yeah, you got that. You look at Ohio State, though. They beat Penn State, and that they're ninth in the country. So you got that going for you. Their two losses, they're bad. Yeah, Oklahoma, it was Oklahoma, good team, number one team in the country. But they came in to your house and smacked you. Then you end up beating Penn State in a close game, maybe the best game of the year. Huge comeback, riding high, feeling good. Win out, we are in. Then you go and lay a dud at Iowa. At Iowa, yeah, it helps your case a little bit, but still. Then you go to the Big Ten Championship game. Well, you beat Michigan, sure, whatever. You also beat Michigan State, who is still thought to be their 16th in the country. So let's not sleep on that either. So we look at this now, Michigan State and Penn State, and then a win against fourth-ranked Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game to win the Big Ten Championship. It's hard for me to say yes, two lost team, two eh losses, but a very... Bad loss from Alabama and two very eh wins. I think you put the Buckeyes in at fourth. Uh, 
I know I'm a Buckeye fan, but that is me being diplomatic as I can be and just looking at the facts. So after if all this happens, what I think happens, Oklahoma 1, Georgia 2, Miami 3, Ohio State 4th. And then you got Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then Georgia, Miami. Would love to see that happen if not going to predict anything about that because there's no need to dive into hypotheticals, no need to have what ifs because that could honestly not even be right. But at the end of the day, if what what that I predicted happened, I think that how it shakes out and that how it goes. Could be right, I could be wrong. How cool would it be if I was all right? Like, holy shit, that'd be perfect. So, hoping for that. On a personal note, hoping Ohio State makes it. I could definitely see us not making it, even if we beat Wisconsin. But still, you lose two games, it's hard to justify you getting in. But I just did justify it. And Oklahoma, again, I easily think the best team in the country. Georgia, obviously best team in the SEC. Just one bad performance. Miami, love how they're playing. Love the swagger they're bringing back. Love the way their defense plays. Mark Rick finally wins the big one and gets his team to college football playoff. And then Ohio State, showing the cream of the always rises to the top. Beats Penn State. Beats Wisconsin. Beats Michigan State. Has better resume. Slides in a fourth over Alabama. So sorry, Nick. So sorry. That's all I got, ladies and gentlemen. I am emotionally and mentally tired right now. I I told you, I put a lot of thought into the college football championship week, and I put a lot of thought into how that would impact the college playoff. And I, I busted my ass to write that script for the rapid fire recap with the movie themed. So I hope you enjoyed this episode because I put a lot of work into it. I hope you continue to listen. Your continued support, whether just telling someone, hey, my buddy's got a podcast, it doesn't suck. Whether you like or retweet my tweet that has the link in it, hopefully you don't just do either of those. Hopefully you actually go out of your way. You listen to it. It's a great driving thing to do. It's a great thing while you're walking to class. Great to do. Probably not a workout thing because you need a little something to pump you up when you're doing that. I know I do. But just it's good for all ages as well. It's good for all, almost all situations as well. So give it a listen. If you are right now, you clearly have, and you've made it through the podcast, episode 28. So thank you so much. Please continue to support what I do because it means so much to me.